But tonight we are in Psalm 38, a psalm of David to bring to remembrance. Psalm 38. O Lord, rebuke me not in thy wrath, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure. For thine arrows stick fast in me, and thy hand presseth me sore. There is no soundness in my flesh because of thine anger, neither is there any rest in my bones because of my sin. For mine iniquities are gone over mine head, as in heavy burden they are too heavy for me. My wounds stink and are corrupt because of my foolishness. I am troubled, I am bowed down greatly. I go mourning all the day long, for my loins are filled with a loathsome loathsome disease, and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and sore broken. I have roared by reason of the disquietness of my heart. Lord, all my desires before Thee, and my groaning is not hid from Thee. My heart panteth, my strength faileth me. As for the light of mine eyes, it also is gone from me. My lovers and my friends stand aloof from my sore, and my kinsmen stand afar off. They also that seek after my life lay snares for me, and they that seek my hurt speak mischievous things and imagine deceits all the day long. But I as a deaf man heard not, and I was as a dumb man that openeth not his mouth. Thus I was as a man that heareth not, and in whose mouth are no reproofs. For in thee, O Lord, do I hope, thou wilt hear, O Lord, my God. For I said, Hear me, lest otherwise they should rejoice over me. When my foot slippeth, they magnify themselves against me. For I am ready to halt, and my sorrow is continually before me. For I will declare mine iniquity, I will be sorry for my sin. But mine enemies are lively, and they are strong, and they that hate me wrongfully are multiplied. They also that render evil for good are mine adversaries, because I follow the thing that is good. Forsake me not, O Lord, my God. Be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. And through David's words that God has inspired and preserved in this psalm, I want to emphasize two significant lessons that focus on the subject of sin. Within Psalm 38, God through David provides us with several instructional truths regarding the problems of sin and how sin can be pardoned. In the whole of the psalm, we are confronted with the ruinous nature of sin and the gracious remedy for sin. And looking to the first truth we are in, that we encounter in the psalm, I want us to observe in David, the painful misery that sin causes. The painful misery that sin causes. And within this first point, there are four distinctive miseries that are produced when God's people sin against God. And the first thing mentioned by David in verses 1 through 3 is the reality that sin causes God to be angry. Sin causes God to be angry. Notice it again. David says, beginning in verse 1, O Lord, rebuke me not in thy wrath, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure, for thine arrows stick fast in me, 
and thy hand presseth me sore. There is no soundness in my flesh because of thine anger. Neither is there any rest in my bones because of my sin. And the reference of God's anger being brought towards David and this reference of God's arrow sticking in David are poetic pictures of God's chastisement in his life which may have been acute pains in his body that really felt like arrows. And the singular truth being underscored in the verses is the truth that David's sin against God has caused God to become deeply displeased with him. And this is the foundation of David's troubles. David knows that because of his sin, God is unhappy. Now I know that in my mentioning of this, that some people immediately want to cry out, well, that's the God of the Old Testament. We live under the covenant of grace. We live in New Testament times where God is a God of love. He accepts everyone for who they are, and God would never become angry toward one of His children. But what I am telling you in this first truth is Bible truth and not man's fickle opinions. Are we to assume that David's God is different than our God? Are we to pretend that God turns a blind eye to our sin? Should we just rip out the entire Old Testament and throw it in the trash? Come on, let's be sensible. The God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. And God teaches us in both Old and New Testament that He hates sin. God is angered when anyone willfully dishonors and disobeys Him. And do we not read of Jesus being angry toward those who perverted the worship of God in the temple? And likewise, do we not read of Jesus being angry toward His disciples when they rebuked those who brought children to Him? Despite popular belief that Jesus is some sort of soft, cuddly teddy bear that we can hug when we sin, the Bible makes it clear that our sin causes God to be angry. Now, in my saying this, it's important to keep in mind that there's a difference between God's cruel, condemning anger and God's caring, chastising anger. God's cruel, condemning anger is demonstrated toward those who are his enemies, those whom David mentions in the Psalms as evildoers, those who don't know God savingly. And then God's caring, chastening anger is demonstrated towards those who are his children with the intention that God's children might be brought to a place of repentance and restoration. So think of it this way, parents, when your child deliberately does something that is a direct violation to your commands, are you indifferent to it? Are you happy about it? Let's say a young child, a son or daughter, takes his or her fists and places it hard on the face of another son or daughter. Or let's say an older child spits in your face 
and tells you that you are stupid. Do you think this causes dad and mom to be unconcerned or cheerful? So it is with the Lord. The Bible says, whom the Lord loves, he chases. Whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. When believers, God's children, sin against God, it grieves God's spirit. And God has various ways to show them that he is unhappy with us. And this is where David is in Psalm 38. Because of David's sin, God is displeased with him and David knows it. So this is sub-point number one. Sin causes God to be angry, unhappy. Sub-point number two. Sin causes our inner man, our inward being to be miserable. And by this I mean our heart, our soul, our minds. Verse 6, David says, I am troubled. I am bowed down greatly. I go mourning all the day long. Verse 8, I am feeble and sore broken. I have roared by reason of the disquietness of my heart. Verse 10, my heart panteth, my strength faileth. As for the light of my eyes, it is gone from me. And then verses 13 and 14. But I as a a deaf man heard not. And I was as a dumb man that openeth not his mouth. Thus I was as a man that heareth not. And in whose mouths are no reproofs. Where is David? In the midst of his sin. David is unhappy. David is weighed down. David is overburdened. David is depressed. David feels as if life and light were leaving him. He feels powerless. He feels dissatisfied. And he feels this way because he has lost a sense of God's presence and power. And listen, this is what sin does in the life of a true believer. Sin brings misery to God's people. And then truth number three, sin causes physical weakness to our bodies. And in the psalm, we find that David not only sensed God's displeasure spiritually, but also physically. And this may have been because God was disciplining him through some kind of illness or injury, or it may have been because of the physical toll of stress that David brought upon himself was bringing real bodily weakness. In the psalm, we do read of various declarations in which David talks about there being no soundness in his flesh, no rest in his bones, his wounds stink, and his whole body is weak. But the principle being emphasized is that sin can and does bring physical weakness to our bodies. You see, our spiritual being is connected to our physical being. And if we give way to various sins, the stress of those sins can produce great physical problems. And likewise... 
when Christians give way to specific sins, namely gluttony, sexual immorality, drugs, drunkenness. Such things will obviously bring various physical consequences. So there's sub-point number three. Sin causes physical weakness to our bodies. And then sub-point number four. Sin causes separation from our loved ones and friends. Notice verse 11. David says, My lovers, my close friends, and my friends, my acquaintances, stand far from me. They stand far from my sore. My kinsmen stand afar off. Now, in a physical sense, verse 11 makes me think that perhaps David did have some sort of bodily sore or infection that caused him to stink. In a spiritual, illustrative sense, I suppose verse 11 could be applied to those who don't want to be around someone who's not living right. Somebody living in sin. Listen, there are times that our attitudes and our actions stink. There are times where Christian people are filled with constant complaints and criticisms, negativity and unbelief, which then causes them to do foolish things. And when this happens, it naturally pushes people away from them. I mean, who wants to be around somebody who's selfish and proud and bitter and impatient, unforgiving and full of unbelief? This is a real consequence of our sin. Sin causes separation from our loved ones and our friends. Four points of consideration regarding sin. Number one, sin causes God to be angry. That's first and foremost. Our relationship with Him is cut off and affected. Number two, sin causes our hearts and our minds to be miserable. Number three, sin causes physical weakness to our bodies. And then number four, sin causes separation from our loved ones and friends. And before we move on to the second main point, I want you to see how serious sin is. Sin is ruinous. Sin is destructive. It's like a cancer that kills every part of man. The heart, the mind, the body, the soul. This includes not some sins, but all sins. Sins that are committed in thought, sins that are committed in tongue, and sins that are committed in deed. Sins of commission and sins of omission. The things we do and the things that we don't do. Big sins and little sins. All sin is sin against God. Therefore, all sin is serious. This is point number one. Through the testimony of David in Psalm 38, God wants us to learn the painful misery sin causes. And then looking to point number two, I want us to see the pardoning mercy God confers. The pardoning mercy that God confers or bestows. In Psalm 38, David shows us not only what sin does, but he shows us how we should respond to our sin. Notice it. There are likewise four main truths highlighted in the psalm for our consideration. Truth number one, sin must be perceived for what it is. If we're going to be forgiven of our sin, 
against God, we must begin by seeing that all sin is an act of treason against God. David, in this psalm, calls his sin, sin. He doesn't call it a mistake. He doesn't call it a shortcoming. He doesn't call it an accident. He calls it sin. And he similarly recognizes that what he has been doing is foolish. He's been playing the part of a fool. In verse 5, my wounds stink and are corrupt because of what? Because of my foolishness. And in Psalm 51, we find that David equates his sin to evil and evil that has been done in the sight of God. This is what sin is. Sin is a transgression of God's holy law. Sin, at its very essence, is rebellion against the Creator. So if we would be forgiven of our sin that has been committed against God, we must recognize what sin is. We must call it what it is. And then tied in with this truth is the second truth, which is the truth that sin must be personally owned. Sin must be personally owned. If we would be forgiven of our sin by God and brought back into fellowship with God after we sin, we must take full responsibility for our actions. Look at what David says, verse 3. There is no rest in my bones because of my sin. Verse 4. For mine iniquities are gone over my head. Verse 5. My wounds stink and are corrupt because of my foolishness. Verse 18. For I will declare mine iniquity. I will be sorry for my sin. My, mine, my, mine, mine. David does not make any excuses. He doesn't attempt to downplay his sin or hide it. He doesn't try to justify himself in any way. He doesn't pretend that it's not a big deal. He doesn't compare himself with others saying, well, I know that I've done wrong, but I haven't done what that person did over there. He doesn't say it's just who I am. It's just part of my ethnic makeup. It's just my upbringing. It's just my circumstances causing me to act like that. Well, you understand, everybody else is sinning. David owns it. David says, I've done wrong against you, God. I've strayed. I've fallen. I'm guilty. And if we would desire to know God's pardoning grace... We must be like David. We must first recognize our sin for what it is, and then we must personally own our sin. Truth number three. We must sincerely and sorrowfully confess and repent of our sins to God. It's not enough to know mentally that sin is bad. It's not enough to know theologically that we've done wrong against God. If we are to receive the forgiveness God promises, you and I must sincerely confess it to God and repent of it. And you know what confess means. It means to agree with God. 
And the Bible says, Proverbs 28, 13, He that covereth his sin shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. See the two intertwined together. It's not enough just to say, I'm sorry. But God expects that we repent, confess, and forsake. And this includes being sorry for our sins done against God. Psalm 38, verse 18, For I will declare my iniquity, I will be sorry for my sin. In Psalm 34, 18, The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Psalm 51, 17, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. 2 Corinthians 7.10, For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. And what Paul is saying is there's a difference between actually being sorry for your sin against God and being sorry that you just got caught. Being broken before the Lord for transgressing against His law or just you're sorry because you have to face some punishment for it. It's the difference of one being in a courtroom and the gavel going down saying you're guilty for committing this crime, but they're really crying about the judge saying life in prison. They're not so sorry about what they did. If we are to know the forgiveness of God, we must sincerely and sorrowfully confess and repent of our sin. And then the fourth and final truth that is highlighted in the psalm that needs to be remembered, and this is a song of remembrance, in our desire to be reunited with God after our times of straying, is the truth that our only hope for forgiveness is in God Himself. Our only hope for forgiveness is in God Himself. Verse 15, notice it. For in thee, O Lord, do I hope. Thou wilt hear, O Lord, my God. In the midst of darkness, in the midst of despair, in the midst of failure, in the midst of his sin, where does David look? He doesn't look to himself. He doesn't look to his religious activities. He doesn't look to men. He doesn't look to confessional booths. He doesn't look to even his own prayers. He looks to the Lord. In verse 21 and 22, Forsake me not, O Lord, O my God. Be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. So David is saying the same thing that Asaph says in Psalm 73, my flesh and my heart faileth. Yes, it's true, and they fail all the time. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And this is the promise of 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. What grace is this? The God that we offend is the God who pardons. The God who that we sin against is the God who forgives. So when we find ourselves convicted and hunted, beat down and miserable 
because of our sins against God. We should not dwell upon our wrongs in despair, but dwell upon the great physician who's able to deliver us out of our despair. You see, David is teaching us here practically to rest in God's mercy. And what is God's mercy? God not giving us what we rightly deserve. And this is what Jeremiah says in Lamentations chapter 3. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is God's faithfulness. And I want to close by recognizing that the true truths spoken in this psalm are really the two truths emphasized repeatedly throughout the 66 books of the Bible. The two truths that are interwoven within the framework of Genesis to Revelation are the truths of man being a great sinner and God being a great and gracious Savior. If we can boil everything that we read in the Bible down to those two truths. That's the essence of the gospel. Man is a great sinner. He's a great sinner before God. But God is a great Savior. God is a gracious Savior. What does Paul say? Where sin abounds, God's grace does much more abound. So let me ask you, Where are you this evening in relation to God? Is there some particular sin bringing misery in your life? Have you made foolish choices that have robbed you from the joy of the Lord? If so, be like David and recognize it for what it is. Take full responsibility of it sincerely and sorrowfully confess it and forsake it and then believe that God alone has the power to make you clean. Put in three words, hope in Him. And if you're here this evening walking in close communion and fellowship with the Lord with no known sin weighing your soul down, just tuck this psalm in the midst of your heart and call it to your attention when you find yourself astray from the Good Shepherd. Remember, these things were written for our admonition. These things were written for our learning so that we might have hope. Why did God give us the Psalms? Why did God give us the written testimony of David? Why would God show us the warts and wrinkles of this man who's called a man after God's own heart? Well, I'm convinced that God gives it to us in His grace so that we might be steadfast and unmovable, so that we might not be overcome with despair, thinking ourselves to be unworthy of serving the holy God. If David failed and failed miserably, yet knew God's mercy and knew God's forgiveness, surely, like David, we can be like the just man who falls but gets up again because God is gracious.